0: I want to welcome all of you who are joining us online as well as those of you who are meeting here at Central Campus along with others of you who are meeting at one of our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, Bearspaw, and also South Calgary. Now I want to start out by asking, what do you do if you believe you're smarter than the person that you're working for? Now I know that's a rather blunt question, but come on. Let's be honest, haven't you at one point or another thought to yourself or perhaps confided in your spouse or your best friend, you know, I don't want to brag or anything, but I am way more competent than my boss. I mean, if it weren't for me, our company would have died years ago. Or haven't there been times that you've brooded over how much better the church would be if you were the pastor? Or how much better the youth ministry would be if you were the youth pastor, or how much better your family would be if you were the parent. Or take the matter of government. Haven't we all used some choice words, especially over the last few years, to describe our government authorities and what we would do to fix all that's wrong across our nation if we were in charge? Now, doubting and questioning those in authority over us has been been around since the beginning when our first parents, Adam and Eve, thought they knew better than God. And so they decided to rebel against God, go their own way, uh, rather than God's way. But in my lifetime, I can't recall a time when people had been more vocal, been more critical, and angry at people in positions of authority. I mean, before COVID, many of you would have been only moderately interested in the subject that we're looking at today in Romans chapter 13. But with all that's happened, I have a sense that has changed quite significantly because there's a lot of emotional energy around this topic these days. And so I'm gonna ask you to buckle up and get ready. And I'm also gonna ask you to stay with me through the entire message. This is one of those messages where you can't tune out halfway through or leave halfway through. Now, I mean, if you're sick, you can leave. But other than that, I need you to stay with me to get the full message. And so, if you're able, let's begin. I'm gonna invite you to stand and join me in reading this passage together. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word and its instruction for life. And Lord, I ask that you would help us now to focus on your word. Lord, that you would remove distractions, and I ask also, Lord, uh, that you would um, help us to receive what it is you have for us, and Lord, you give us the courage to do what you're calling us to do and to be who it is you're calling us to be, for I pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Maybe may be seated. Now before I unpack this message, I want to remind you that in the 12th chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul changes the focus. He changes the focus from how we become followers of Jesus Christ to how we are to live as followers of Jesus Christ. And that is summarized, uh, the essence of this change is summarized in Romans 12:1, which says this, Therefore, on the basis of everything we've seen in the first 11 chapters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Everything Paul teaches in Romans 12, right up to the end of the book, is based on this pivotal verse, in which he essentially says, if you want to authentically glorify God in the way that you live your Christian life and the way that you relate to people, the key is found in surrendering your pride, your agenda, your very life to God. When you offer your life as a living sacrifice to God, you are giving Jesus who entered your life the moment you put your trust in him, you are giving Jesus permission to live his life through you. His life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control through you. And that will change everything about you, including your attitude toward others. Even those who feel like enemies. And in the passage we just read together, Paul says it will also change your attitude toward those who are in authority over you, including governing authorities. Now, by the way, in this passage, Paul talks specifically about how we're to relate to governing authorities. But many of the principles can also apply to other people of authority in our lives, like our bosses, our parents, teachers, leaders of ministries, and so forth. The question that Paul addresses in this passage is, What is our responsibility as Christians to those who are in authority over us? Well, the scriptures teach that our responsibility is at least threefold. First, we're to bless them. Secondly, we're to submit to them. And thirdly, we are to pray for them. So let me unpack these a little more. Our first responsibility is to bless those in authority over us. This takes us back to the last message that I gave in Romans chapter 12 where I talked about glorifying God through loving our enemies. Verse 14, Paul writes, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now to curse someone is to wish ill will toward them. On the other hand, to bless someone is to do the opposite. To treat them with kindness and respect and to wish God's best on them. In verse 18, Paul writes, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now everyone in the Greek means everyone. Good. Yes. Everyone. Not just people who love you, who hug you, and treat you well, but those who feel like enemies. Or... Governing authorities who pass laws that upset you and restrict your freedom. Now, for reasons I explained last time, sometimes it is not possible to live at peace with someone because bad decisions on their part make it unsafe for you to do so. But Paul writes, as far as it depends on you, as far as you are able, live at peace and harmony with everyone. And that includes our governing authorities. You may not like those in authority over you. You may not like or agree with the decisions they're making. But now that you are in Christ and Christ is in you, you no longer see them through the eyes of your old nature without Christ. No, you now see them the way Jesus sees them And that will radically change the way you respond and interact with them. Whether you're speaking to them face-to-face or on the phone or communicating with them by email or text or by letter, you choose to treat them and communicate to them with kindness and respect. Now, that doesn't mean you can't disagree with them. It doesn't mean you can't voice your opinion and challenge them about decisions they're making or failing to make. It doesn't mean you can't work for change. What it means is that first and foremost, as a child of the king of kings and of his kingdom, you now see them as people that Jesus loved and died for, people who need the Lord, and only secondly, as your governing authority, or as your boss, for example. That is our first responsibility to everyone, including those who are in authority over us, to bless them and to be a blessing to them in the way that we just talked about. Our second responsibility to those in authority over us is to submit to them. And this brings us to our text here in 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. Now to be subject to governing authorities means you submit to them. You follow their directives and their instructions. To submit means that I willingly place myself under those that God has placed in authority over me. And I do it not out of fear of punishment, but out of my love for God and my absolute trust in God. Now immediately we wonder why. Why should I submit to those in authority over me? Well, Paul gives two reasons here. The first reason is we should submit is because God has established the authorities. Again, look at verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So what does it mean that the authorities have been established by God? Well, it means that the concept or the idea, the construct of human government was instituted or ordained by God. In the very beginning, God gave human beings dominion over the earth, the right and the responsibility to rule over the earth. We see this in Genesis 1:26 where the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit said this, "Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over every living thing on the earth." This is part of what Paul means when he writes God establish the governing authorities. He's saying that the principle of civil government in general is instituted and it's ordained by God and therefore deserves our respect and submission. Now that raises another question. Does that mean that every individual in government has been personally appointed by God? Does this mean, for example, that our prime minister is God's choice? Well, now I've woken you all up. I mean, does this mean that the president of the United States is God's choice? Well, let me explain it this way. Our God is sovereign, which means he can do whatever he wants to do. And if he wants a certain person in a position of authority, he's able to do that and he's free to do so. For example, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we read that God arranged through the prophet Samuel to appoint and anoint Saul as the first king of Israel. When Saul became proud and became more concerned about what the people thought than what God wanted him to do, God had Saul removed and he arranged for David to be the next king. Of Israel. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel reminded King Nebuchadnezzar that he was only in power because God put him there. In verse 21, Daniel says, He changes, referring to God, God changes times and seasons, he deposes kings and he raises up others. In the New Testament, in John 19, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And Jesus isn't saying much and it's really bothering Pilate and so Pilate tries to threaten him saying don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you and Jesus answered saying you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above so clearly God has the right and the power to specifically put people in positions of authority and as we've just seen in scripture, sometimes he does. However, even though nothing comes to pass that our sovereign God isn't aware of, I believe in most cases, God gives us freedom as human as the human race to make choices. And who ends up in positions of authority is most often the result of human decision. Now, I base that in part on Romans chapter 1, verses 24, 26, and 28, where we read that God gave them over to what they wanted to do. God gave humanity over to the way they wanted to live. And God also gave them the Results, the consequences of their choices. Allowed them to reap the consequences of their choices. While in the same way, I believe God permits us to have our own way as a nation. In who we want to govern us. And even though God may not approve of our choice of governance or a governors or government. He lets it play out. He lets us have what we want as a nation. He lets us live with our choices. And as we have seen down through history, sometimes nations have made poor choices, even horrific choices, that they've had to live with and the generations following them have had to live with, including nations that have been and still are ruled by tyrannical leaders and governments. And so whether we have... A good government or a bad government is most often based on the choices that we the people make. In fact, someone has said, every election is a snapshot, it's a picture of who we are as a people. And what we've become as a nation. Because we're the ones putting them into office. Put another way, we often deserve the government that we have. Now you say, wait a minute. I didn't vote for that person in authority. But you see, that's all well and good. The reality is the majority of our nation did. This is the dilemma we face as Christians. The majority of Canadians do not hold a Christian worldview. And they are voting according to their world view. But here's the thing. Don't lose hope. Not only is our God sovereign, he's also good and he's a just God. And he will use even evil and unjust governing authorities to accomplish his good purposes in our lives and in the life of our nation in his way and his time. And And so Paul is not saying that God necessarily approves of those who are in authority. Rather, he's saying God is the Lord of history. He is the Lord over those who are in authority, be they good or bad. For example, when the Roman soldiers came for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter reacted the way that many of us would have. He pulled out his sword and he said, oh, no, you don't. And yet Jesus said this, put your sword away. This must be accomplished. In other words, he was saying there's something bigger going on here from what you're seeing. When Jesus was scourged and then nailed to the cross, I can imagine Peter and other disciples being frustrated with the justice of God the Father because He didn't seem to care about the injustice that was being done to his son. I can imagine Peter wanting to say, God, these corrupt Roman authorities who are doing this to your son, they they don't even acknowledge you. Why are you letting them live and letting your son die? Why don't you wipe this evil Roman government out? And yet you see, some 2,000 years later, we look back on that event, and we see how God allowed the corrupt Roman government to continue in order to accomplish something that would benefit mankind forever. And that was to provide a way, through Jesus' death and resurrection, for all of us to have the opportunity to be saved from our sins and to become a friend of God. And of course, now we look back on history and we say, yeah, well, it all makes sense. Now I see what God was up to. You see, then we go back to our daily lives. We go back to the office, back to our workplaces and we forget that God works through authority today in the same way he did in the past. Our boss makes a decision we don't like or agree with and we get bitter, we get angry. Or we take matters into our own hands and we quit forgetting that God may want to accomplish something much greater than what we see in front of us friends when life and the decisions of those in authority over us when life seems to be spiraling out of control and not making any sense just remember that our good God is still in control He is totally trustworthy. He sees things you don't see. He knows things that you don't know and he's working behind the scenes to accomplish his good purposes whether what you see makes sense or not. So don't lose hope or patience or do something rash just because you're struggling in your relationship with those in authority over you. Even when you don't agree with what decisions are being made, even if you don't like the personality or the attitude of the person in authority over you, remember that as a Christ follower, God's calling you to respect the position and to submit to it. For example, you may not respect our prime minister. You may not respect our premier or the mayor of our city, but you can still respect the office that God established. I mean, don't forget in Paul's day, the Roman authorities were hostile toward the church. Emperor Nero was one of the cruelest, most sadistic emperors of all time. You think we face persecution today. Oh boy. You just read your New Testament. Nero had hundreds of Christians crucified. He had other Christians covered with wax uh, and then lit them on fire to serve as human torches at his parties. In fact, Paul ultimately was executed by the Roman government. And yet here in Romans 13, he still wrote, Submit to your governing authorities. Okay, so that's the first reason we're to submit to those in authority over us because God established the authorities. The second reason we're to submit to governing authorities is because we will avoid bringing judgment on ourselves. Look at verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Paul says if you resist the authority that God's placed over you and you rebel against them and you do what you want to do, then Paul says you're actually working against God and his plan for your life. And you may not only suffer the consequences of doing so, but you may miss God's best for you. Look at verse 3 and 4. For the rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the worshiper. Now verse 4 tells us that governing authorities are God's servants For our good. God instituted human government to serve us in three ways to protect us, to promote good, and to punish evil. Without this, we would have anarchy, which, by the way, would be even more terrible than the worst form of government you can imagine. God has delegated to the government the right to bear the sword, which represents the power to punish those who break the law. Now, if government is not just, and of course you're saying, yeah, what about that? We'll get to that in a minute. Hang in there. But if the government is not just and does not serve us the way that God has called them to, then it does not have the approval and the blessing of God. And as we've already seen in the scriptures, God will remove those governors and governments in his time and in his way. However, in verse 3, Paul says, In a country or a place where the governing authority is serving their people in a good and a just way, the way God intended, you need never fear punishment as long as you're living a good and a God-honoring life. Put another way, if you're driving the speed limit, you never have to panic when you see photo radar, the way some of us do, or the flashing lights of a police car. And so in verse five, Paul sums it up saying, therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. In this verse, Paul's touching on our motives for submitting to authorities, and he's challenging Christ's followers not to submit out of a fear of punishment, but out of our reverence for the Lord. In other words, my submission to human authority is actually a reflection of my submission to God. God. In verse 6, Paul illustrates his point by saying this, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Now in Paul's day, Christians didn't want to pay taxes to Rome. Because the Roman government was using it to pay for the ridiculous, lavish, hedonistic lifestyle of the emperor and members of the Roman government. But they were also using the tax dollars to build pagan temples and to finance their military, which was often persecuting, torturing, and even crucifying Christians. Well, we have the same problem today. Some people don't want to pay their taxes because some of that money is used to support ungodly things. And yet Paul says, the reason you are to pay taxes is not because You agree with everything the government does with that money. But because it's the authority that God has placed over you. You know, when I think of our dislike of taxes, I'm reminded of the story of the fellow who wrote the anonymous letter to the Tax Taxation Department. This is how it read. Dear Sirs, a few years ago I cheated on my income taxes. My conscience has been troubling me ever since, and I haven't been able to sleep. So enclosed is $100. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. (laughs) Paul says, when you submit to those in authority, you will have a clear conscience. You'll be able to sleep peacefully at night, knowing that God is accomplishing his good purposes in and through your life. Now you say, okay, I understand that. What if you're living under an unjust authority? What do you do when a government departs from the role that God gave it? When your government defines right to be something that God says is wrong? Or defines wrong to be something that God says is right? I mean, is it ever appropriate to resist those in authority over you rather than submitting to them? Well, the answer to that is very simple. We submit at all points except when the law of man demands that we break the law of God. If, for example, we are asked to lie, if we're asked to steal, to cheat, to falsify records, to provide sexual favors or to violate any of the clear commands, principles and precepts of God, then we should resist submitting to authority whatever that authority is. If the government instructs you to kill someone, not as part of a just war intended to defend our life and liberty as a nation, But in the way that the king of Egypt ordered the Hebrew midwives to kill every male baby that was born, we must obey God rather than man. If the government instructs you to engage in in some form of false worship, as were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then we must obey God rather than man. If the government instructs you to stop sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the way that the Apostle Peter and others were ordered to do by the authorities of their day, then in the words of Peter himself, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now please notice, in this I did not say we are to stop submitting to governing authorities if they violate a command of God, or if they make laws that violate the command of God. For example, if a government legalizes abortion on demand, which allows for the termination of the life of an unborn child, they are giving license to something that God forbids. And yet, as wrong as this is, we should still submit to the government and pay our taxes. And you say, well, why do you say that? You see, it is one thing for a government to allow women to have an abortion. It is quite another for that same government by law to force women to have an abortion. When those in authority over us force us into a position of having to disobey God's law, then we need to obey God's law rather than man's law, regardless of what the cost will be. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking about the mandates that our government put in place during COVID, and why we as a church made the decision to follow the protocols the government called for. We had a number of reasons for why we did, including the desire to do what we could based on the information available to us to protect people from getting COVID. But the key reason was because the protocols like mask wearing and physical or social distancing are not explicitly forbidden in the Bible and neither is obedience to such mandates an explicit sin. And so even though there was and continues to be much controversy over the effectiveness of these required protocols. And even though many believe these measures uh, were not only inconvenient, but ridiculous and overreach by our government, we decided we needed to be subject to our governing authorities, because as we just learned here in Romans 13, God calls us to submit to the government in all matters, except when our government instructs us to do something that is contrary to God's law. Now, we did cancel our in-person worship services and only had online services for the first three months of the pandemic because like everyone else around the world, we didn't know how serious this pandemic really was. But since that time, since that lockdown, we have been open as a church and we have had in-person worship services ever since. From that time on, our government never mandated we stop in-person worship services. They only called on us to follow protocols of mask wearing and physical distancing. And even though that meant that our in-person worship uh, services could not exceed one-third capacity, we saw no biblical reason to disobey those uh, those protocols because we still had the freedom to gather for in-person worship, albeit in smaller numbers in each service. Now we wanted to be sure that everyone who wanted to worship in person could do so, which is why we asked you to register online so that we could monitor attendance or anticipated attendance in each service. And just so you know, we were prepared to add however many more services beyond the nine that we were already offering to accommodate those who want to worship in person. I mean, this wasn't ideal. It required more effort and work, but it was a small price to pay for still having the freedom to worship together in person. I mean, I heard of a church, about 150 people, that had a sanctuary that seats about 150 people. And instead of staying in one service, insisting on that, and thereby breaking the protocols, they decided to honor the government mandates and they went to three worship services with 50 people in each service or so, and they never skipped a beat other than the worship team had three services to do instead of one, and of course the pastor had to preach three times rather than once. Well, we've been doing four to five services here at Central for the last 30 years. And so the idea of adding more services and me me preaching one or two more beyond the four that I was already preaching in order to make it possible for more people to experience in-person worship and also continue to honor the protocols the government was asking for was more than worth the extra effort. Now people have said to me, but don't you realize that this is a slippery slope? That if we cave in now to government mandates, we'll just give them more boldness to take away our freedoms even more in the future. And my response to that is, you may be right. The government may take away even more of our freedoms in the future. But when it comes to how we respond to the government, we can't make decisions now on the basis of what they might do in the future. We can only make God-honoring decisions on what they're asking us to do now. And as I've said, We decided to follow the government protocols because the protocols they were asking us to abide by mask wearing and physical distancing is not explicitly forbidden by God in the scriptures. Now, make no mistake. Unless Jesus returns first or there is a mighty move of God across our nation that turns the hearts of millions of Canadians toward Jesus. I fully anticipate the day will come when we will have to obey God rather than man on certain issues and we will find ourselves facing prison, possibly even death. And I don't want to minimize that reality. Some of you have already tasted of this. By losing your job because of your conviction and conscience concerning vaccines. And so I want to be clear. That in all that I have said. I am not suggesting that we should become fatalistic about the future. Give up and do nothing. And just trust in the Lord. I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't try to bring about change. I'm not saying we shouldn't communicate our viewpoints and our concerns and challenge those in authority that, uh, who are in authority over us. As citizens, we should write letters, make phone calls. We should vote. We should even get involved in politics if God calls us to. We should do whatever we can to bring about change through the legal channels available to us. However, if those in authority ignore you, make decisions that aren't God-honoring and just plain frustrate you. Unless our governing authorities demand that you disobey God, then submit to them anyway, believing that Jesus is still Lord and that his kingdom purposes will be accomplished in his way and in his time. And so God calls us to, first of all, bless those in authority over us, and secondly, to submit to those in authority over us. And then thirdly, we need to pray for those in authority over us. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I'm thinking right now of the quote that I referred to earlier. That every election is a snapshot, a picture of what we become as a nation. Have you ever thought about that? If that's true, and I believe it is, and we don't like the direction that our government is going, Getting angry isn't going to change things. It's only going to make things worse. We need to understand that the majority of Canadians, as I said a moment ago, do not share our worldview. And so they're going to continue to vote the way their worldview dictates. And so where does that leave us? If we're going to see God's kingdom come to earth and to Canada, as it is in heaven, it's going to involve more than just changing the government. It will only happen when we change as a nation. And the only way we're going to change as a nation is if we pray for our nation. And if... I'm sorry, i got to cut off the clapping because um, I'm running out of time. I'm already over time hang in there with me okay it's only going to happen when we change as a nation and as I said the only way we're going to change as a nation is if we pray for our nation and if we introduce people to Jesus the only one who can truly change people's hearts and minds and thereby also change families cities and nations here's the thing if Christ followers in Canada did this years ago, but let's forget about what is, or what was. If Christ followers in Canada were to get serious about our mission, and pray into that mission, and trust Jesus to change our nation one life at a time by praying for those in our sphere of influence and those who are in authority over us, and by introducing these people to the Jesus we know and love, I have absolutely no doubt This would be the most important catalyst for changing our nation. I remind you, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He didn't start a revolution that involved gaining political power or clout, or that involved the sword or bloodshed. He started a revolution of the heart, knowing full well that once hearts change, marriages and families are changed, And once families change, communities are changed. And once communities are changed, nations are changed, and yes, governments are changed in a good way. And this is precisely what happened to the Roman Empire, which eventually imploded from its own immorality. And a new day began, in large part because hundreds of thousands of hearts and lives had been changed through the power of the living Christ one life at a time. You know, for years, I was part of a small group of pastors from across Canada that went to Ottawa to meet and to pray for the prime minister and members of parliament. In the years I was involved, we prayed for prime minister Jean Chrétien, prime minister Paul Martin, and also prime minister Stephen Harper. And when we first met with them, you could just tell they were suspicious. They couldn't quite believe that all we wanted to do was to pray with them. And that's because everyone who met with them had an agenda, something they wanted the prime minister or the government to do for them. And here we were just wanting to hold them and our nation up in prayer. And when they finally figured out that we were serious, you could just tell their defenses began to slowly come down. And they began to share some real stuff from the heart. And we were able to pray for them, bless them, and minister to them in ways I'm sure they hadn't experienced in a long time, if at all. You know, we often see those in authority over us as a means to an end, a means of getting our agenda met, rather than as individuals who Jesus loves and died for people who need the Lord and need to see the love of Jesus in us who need to be cared every bit as much as we care for the homeless person. I want you to think about the person in authority over you. Maybe that you're having difficulty submitting too much, if not liking at all. Are you mostly criticizing them and talking negatively about them to others? Or are you talking to God about them in prayer? Are you able to separate the decisions that they are making, which you may despise, from them as a person? In other words, are you seeing them the way that Jesus sees them? When a policeman gives you a ticket, do you care more about the $100 ticket than you do about him or her as a person? Do you scowl? Do you complain? Do you argue? Or do you see them the way Jesus sees them and treat them the way that he would and then possibly even pray for them as you drive away? Around your office, at your family dinner table, in your small group, how quickly do you take things that concern you, that worry you about the state of our nation to the Lord in prayer? How gracious are you when you speak to those in authority. Oh, you may passionately disagree with the decisions that they're making, but do you speak about them in a respectful way? The way you would want to be spoken to and the way you would want to be spoken about by others? Do you pray for them together as a family, as a small group? If your neighbor hung around your place of business And he heard the things that you talk about and the people that you talk about and saw the way that you run your business and the way you treat your employees or the way that you treat a waiter or waitress at a restaurant, would they still be drawn to your Jesus? You know, I came across a little saying some time ago that says, if the church wants a better pastor, It only needs to pray for the one it has. And that, I think that's true, but not just for pastors. I think it's true for our spouses. I think it's true for our parents. I think it's true for our bosses, our teachers, our ministry leaders, and yes, our politicians, and anyone else that's in authority over us, because I know Jesus loves them and he died for them all. I know. They need Him in their lives, they need His direction for their lives, and most importantly, they need His saving grace, unspeakable joy, and peace in their lives. And yes, you can clap for that. And so Paul, he just kind of wraps it all up in these verses. And he basically says, if you want to glorify God, then submit to every authority. If you want to worship God authentically, then instead of despising those in authority and giving them a piece of your mind, bless them and be a blessing to them. Instead of slandering them and peppering them with demands, pray for them and ask how you may be of support to them. And then trust the Lord to do what only he can do. So I want to close our time by having us do two things very quickly. The first is, in the seat back in front of you, you're going to find a little card like this. And it says, pray for our political leaders. And on the back, and these are political leaders only around uh, our campuses. On the back, you can list your... MP and your MLA and, and your aldermen, you can list other people that are in authority over you, your boss, whoever and what I'd like you to do, because we're not going to have time in this service to pray or, but what I want you to do is take this home, put it in your Bible or your journal and begin to do something that I've done for years and that is set aside at least one day a week not the entire day necessarily, unless God calls you to do that. But set time aside to pray for your political leaders at least once a week. And then I just want us to close with those two questions. Lord, what are you saying to me? And Lord, what are you asking me to do about it? Just take a moment now and just begin that process with the Lord right now. But don't let it end here. Take it home with you. Reflect, meditate, pray about it this coming week. Would you please stand? Take the blessing of the Lord with you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.